Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like some biblical perspective on. What does the Bible say about this thing I'm going through? What does the Bible say about that? We'd love to answer those questions. Or maybe you have something where you've been reading the Bible and there's something that's unclear to you, something you've always wondered about. This show is here every day from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time to answer those questions and to take your calls live on the air. We're also here to pray for you. So give us a call with your prayer requests and your needs, and we would love to lift you up to the Lord along with so many other people who are tuning in right now and able to say yes and amen. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening on all of our different stations, the Grace FM family of of stations, but also the Calvary Live listening stations are growing, and that is really exciting. We we have a whole group of radio stations that is just joining the Calvary Live listening family, so we want to greet all of you, but first of all, let me greet those of you who are listening here in Colorado and into Southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. We're so glad to have you with us today. You're hearing the show live, uh, which means that today is August 6th. It's a Friday, and you're hearing the show live, and uh, we, we're having a nice day here in Colorado. It's been really smoky, we, but uh, we just got some rain that blew some of that smoke out of here, which was really nice. For a few minutes, I could actually see the mountains. It's been funny living here, you know, have a view of the mountains every day, but uh, because of all the smoke, that hasn't been possible. So um, we're glad to have a reprieve from that today. We also want to greet those of you who are listening on the East Coast, on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. And we also want to greet those who are listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. And while we're greeting that, I want to greet our new stations, uh, particularly in Amarillo, Texas. But it's a group of stations that has um, radio stations all over the South and the Southeast of the United States, and they're called uh, radio by Grace. Actually, sorry, they they are called uh, Freedom Radio FM. Freedom Radio FM is the group of stations who are listening to us, and uh, this is a ministry outreach of Grace Church in Amarillo, Texas. Pastor Bill Gem he has a show that airs on Grace FM Monday through Friday at 9 p.m. So if you're ever in your car or near a radio or near the app at that time, tune in. You'll hear Pastor Bill Gem from Amarillo, Texas. What's interesting about Pastor Bill is that he got saved on I-25 here in Colorado. He was upside down. He had flipped his motorcycle, and he gave his life to the Lord, and now he's pastoring. And uh, he always wanted to stay in Colorado, but he obeyed God's call to go to Amarillo years ago, 
and God has blessed that ministry down there, given them a great outreach uh, to, you know, the whole of Texas and the American South and Southeast with all of these different radio stations. And so they're broadcasting all over that part of the country, and we're so glad to have this show be part of that as well. So welcome to you. If you're listening on any of the um, stations there on Freedom Radio, we would love to have you call in and be part of the show. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Just a heads up that for those of you listening on Great, or on Truth FM and on Hope FM, you're hearing the program on a one-week delay. So we want you to keep that in mind, just know about it, but we don't want that to hinder you from calling in and taking part in the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so definitely give us a call with your prayer requests and with your Bible questions. We love having uh, all these different voices calling in to our show. So if you're tuning in, no matter where you're tuning in from, including those of you who are tuning in on the Grace FM app, uh, give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the uh, text line. Uh, just a few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, we're a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in this great city, uh, just in between Boulder and Fort Collins, uh, near Denver. And so if you are listening and you're in the Longmont area, I'd love to invite you to come and worship with us this Sunday at the church I pastor here in town, Whitefields Community Church. You can find us online and find directions. You can find listen to past messages, all that good stuff on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And if you want to join us in person, if you're within driving distance of Longmont, we'd love to have you. We're really well located right on Highway 119, which is the main highway that goes in between I-25 and downtown Longmont, as well as continues on into Boulder. And so we're right here. We're right in between County Line Road and I-25 on the north side of Highway 119. In fact, you can see our building from 119. Uh, you just look to the north as you're driving down 119. In between County Line Road and I-25, we're directly across the street from the Sandstone Ranch Community Park with all the ball fields and soccer complex, skate park, and all that stuff. Right across the street also from a big Walmart. So if you know the Walmart in Southeast Longmont, we're right across the street from there. And so we'd love to have you. We're really, like, because of where we're located, it's really easy to get here from all the surrounding communities, including Lyons, Berthoud, um, Mead, Frederick, Firestone, Decono area is really close. Uh, we're near to Lafayette and Erie. We're also near to um, Niwa, and we're really accessible from Boulder. So if you're in any of those communities uh, or in Longmont proper, we'd love to have you come and worship with us this Sunday. Or if you're within driving distance, go ahead and take a, take a road trip, and we'd love to have you worship with us this Sunday. This Sunday, I'm going to be teaching, continuing in our series right now that we're doing through 1 Corinthians. I'm going to be teaching 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in a message titled, um, Human Weakness and the Power of God. Can't wait to share that one. It's, it's a really encouraging message, because here's the, the big question that Paul deals with here, is like, how do you know, if you're a Christian, that you weren't just talked into it by like a really good sales pitch? Like, how do you know that this is really true, that it's really from God? And Paul answers that question for us, and he talks about how when he came to Corinth, he didn't want to be somebody who talked people into believing in Jesus. 
He wanted to be somebody who simply presented the message and then allowed the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, which is to bring about change and transformation within people. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like in our lives. I think one of the most incredible things about Paul is that he says, and you can see this through several of his letters, like in Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, he asks for prayer that those who he's writing to would pray for him for his preaching to be effective. And here's what, what effective preaching meant to the Apostle Paul. It meant, number one, clarity, and number two, boldness. He wanted to be clear when he spoke about Jesus, and he wanted to be bold. And I think those are really great aspirations for us to have as well, that when we speak about the Lord, that God would give us boldness to speak about him, that we wouldn't hesitate, that we would speak fearlessly about Jesus, and yet that we would speak clearly, that we wouldn't muddy the waters by bringing in other topics. We want to know Christ and him crucified, and that's it, right? So that's uh, a really important message for all of us. I think it's something for us to pray about. God, help us that we would speak clearly and boldly when it comes to speaking about Jesus. So that's what we'll be talking about this Sunday, studying verse by verse through 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in our series called Grace and Truth. Love to have you join us. We have three services, 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. So 8, 9.30, and 11, three services. Uh, we have children's ministry at the 9.30 and 11 a.m. services. The 8 a.m. service is a family-friendly service, and so we would love to have you join us for any of those. And uh, yeah, more information and all that good stuff is found on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. You can also hear me here on Grace FM every weekday, twice a day, 9.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m., Monday through Friday, and also Sundays at 1 o'clock p.m. I'm also on uh, Grace FM here if you are listening online or you're listening um, on the air here in Colorado and into southern Wyoming. So... With that, let's go to our first caller, Jesse in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. My question. Um, yeah, I just, something that I feel like I've really been uh, trying to struggle through in this strange time, like in our world with the COVID and lots of uh, other things, is like how to seek God to know what's true. And like specifically for me, something I'm trying to figure out whether or not I should get vaccinated. I don't know. There's like, I feel like there's various opinions that I can find and various research I can find, and I, I'm trying to, like, see that on it and make sure that I'm not getting pulled in the wrong direction, and I feel like I want to, like, only seek him and, like, do what he's wanting me to do, not what other people are going to do, because... Like, I'm in a work environment where I'm getting pulled one way, and then my family's pulling me another way, if that makes sense. Um, right. This is something I, I'm trying to seek God on and, like, mostly, like, look for prayer, but I don't know if you have, like, any, like, uh, scriptural um, things that you could bring up for situations like that. Yeah, you know, um, let me think. Yeah, let me just ask you, like, what, it, what, what what's your biggest hesitation with getting the vaccine? Uh, for me specifically, it's that uh, I don't I don't know that I trust like the mainstream media these days, and I feel like they're really trying to say it's safe, um, but it's also like experimental. And then other right. So I think uh, you're cutting out on me a little bit there, but it sounds like you're saying you're 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 not sure that you can trust the media saying that it's safe. 
Uh, I get that. You know, right. I think it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It, it almost seems a bit suspicious that they're doing all these incentives. Like uh, on the one hand, that could just be uh, done from a pure motive. Or on another hand, that could be seen as being a little shady. Like, why do you have to incentivize me to do something if it's good for me? And I think obviously there's reasons for that. The reason is that um, a lot of people are not wanting to do it. And so they're trying to give incentives. Um, but yeah, I, I would just encourage you to pray through that. And I encourage you to look through the science. And here's one thing that I find helpful that I lived abroad for a long time. And, you know, where, whereas here, yeah, there, there's obviously definitely like, you know, a lot of things are politicized, including the vaccine, including the pandemic. But I would encourage you maybe look at some foreign news sources as well, right? So don't just look at, at the U.S. data and news sources, but look at the foreign news sources and data as well and look into those and, and look into people who can give you some, um, some good advice on this from a scientific standpoint in that case. I'll tell you from an ethical standpoint, and, and I think that this is where the biblical part comes in. Um, again, I'm not a scientist, so it's hard for me to speak into matters of science, but I am a, a theologian, so I can speak into the, the theology or the ethical part of this. And that would just be this, that if the vaccine is safe, then I think that it's a very pro-life thing for us to do to take it. Now, that, that does still leave the question, right? Is it safe? Is it responsible for us to take it? Are there dangers? And if so, what are those dangers? So th those are the questions that I would encourage you to research uh, on your own. But from an ethical, biblical standpoint, I think that if the vaccine is safe and um, then it then it would it would go in line with you know pro life which doesn't just mean saving um, babies from abortion it absolutely means that but it also includes we want to be pro life from the cradle to the well from conception to the grave right so um, that would be my advice but let me just pray for you to have discernment in that Lord I pray for Jesse and I pray for others out there who are struggling maybe they feel torn uh, they feel torn uh, by pressure on either side. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to them what they should do. Lord, what is the right thing for them to do? If they have fears, um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in the midst of those fears and that you would show them what is the right thing to do before you. And, um, and Lord, I pray that, uh, that truly this pandemic would cease. Lord, I pray that the, the detriment to people's lives, the, the people who are dying and sick, Lord, I pray that this would come to an end. And Lord, that you would also use the difficulties of this time to bring glory to yourself. I know that a lot of times it's through these difficult situations in which we grow, not only grow in, uh, in our relationship with you, but also grow in loving others. And, um, and dealing with these difficult things can be really good for us. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't shrink back from it, but that we would push into it. And as a result, grow in the way of Jesus. And, and we pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor. I really appreciate it. You bet. God bless you. God All bless right, you. Bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Give us a call. We have two open lines. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. And we'd love to hear from you. Call us with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. Let's go to our next caller, Eli in Fort Lupton, Colorado. Hi, Eli. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, 
I really appreciate what you guys do and uh, appreciate your time. So I'll get after it. Um, I recently got fired from a job, uh, cowboying in Montana, and we moved back to Colorado, and I'm driving a truck now trying to figure out the next move. And um, kind of got an opportunity with some family to, like, sell insurance, and that's not really my skill set, but it's – I don't know that that's true. I've never done it before, but um, – just wondering, like, is there a way to pursue, like, I want to provide well for my family, and, um, but is there a way to pursue, I don't know, wealth or making money without it, like, turning into idolatry or, you know, something that doesn't honor God? I guess that's, that's a complex question, but there it is. That's no, a great question, and I would tell you this. Here's, here's how I would break it down for you. Um, let's put it like this. There, there's righteous reasons for wanting to pursue uh, making money, and there are unrighteous reasons. And in the same way, um, I guess we'll put it this way, God wants you to be a conduit, not a reservoir. So if you're viewing making money as a means to bless others, including your own family, then I think that that can be a very righteous thing to do. There are a lot of righteous rich people in the Bible. You know, Abraham was righteous and he was rich. We know that uh, Nicodemus uh, was righteous and he was rich. Joseph of Arimathea, right? The people, Jesus is always borrowing things in the, in the New Testament, borrowing boats, borrowing upper rooms, borrowing graves. You can't borrow things from people who don't have anything, right? But those people also have to be willing to give what they have for the service of Jesus. And so the question is really one of motivation and yeah, I, I like to think about it like this. Um, let's, let's think about it like a quadrant, right? One axis of the quadrant is righteous and unrighteous. The other one is rich and poor. So they, they create four, four quadrants on, a, on an axis there. And so in the one quadrant, you, would have, you have those people who are uh, rich and unrighteous, right? So these are people who uh, love money and use people. So we're called to to love people and use money. But some people love money and they use people. They're what we would call unrighteous rich. The people who don't love God and they're, they're loving money, which Paul says in 2 Timothy, right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Or sorry, 1 Timothy. Um, but then, then on the other hand, you have those who are um, rich, but they are righteous, right? Like, so I was a missionary in Hungary for 10 years. And during that time, I had this one friend. He was actually from Colorado. And he supported us, but he also supported about 20 other missionaries. And one time he told me, he goes, you know, I'm not good at like speaking or doing many things, but I am good at making money. It just comes really natural to me. And he goes, I figure I'm just going to make a lot of money and I'm going to just do a lot of good with it, like do the Lord's work. And he supported so many missionaries. And I always think about that guy when I think about righteous, rich people, you know, ministry costs money. And so does life, and a lot of things cost money, right? And so, again, we want to love people and use money, not use people and love money. Uh, on the other hand, right, some people would say, well, you know, it's better to be poor because somehow being poor is more righteous than being rich. Well, I don't think that's true at all. Uh, I've known a lot of poor people. Like I said, I lived in Eastern Europe for 10 years, and I knew a lot of poor people who were unrighteous, right? Sometimes the reason they were poor is because they made bad decisions or they were lazy, 
And then on the other hand, I knew people who were poor uh, and they were righteous, like people who, you know, think about this. There's a lot of people who go into be, being a school teacher. Nobody goes into being a school teacher because they want to get rich, right? They do it for a righteous reason. They want to help, they want to help kids grow. And, and maybe they want to have summers off. That's the other part. But let's just say um, a lot of people, you know, I know a lot of pastors, they're never going to be rich, but their reason is because they're, they're pursuing something that matters more than money. I guess here's my point. Um, a lot of times we think about that uh, in our culture, we think a lot about fulfilling ourselves with our job. And that's, that is important, right? That we feel fulfilled and engaged. But there's also a time in our lives where we say, hey, I'm, I've got something that I love more than being fulfilled individually. And what I love more than being fulfilled individually, in your case, might be, I love providing for my family. I love being able to do things and make memories with my family. I love being able to give back and give to the work of God in a meaningful and substantial way. And so I think it's absolutely possible to pursue wealth, but not for the sake of wealth, but for the sake of being a conduit through whom God can bring blessing to others. That's what he said to Abraham. Remember Abraham in uh, Genesis 12, verse three, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. Or in some translation it even says, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. And so I would encourage you to really be honest before God with your heart. What is your motivating factor? And if, if you really are motivated by wanting to be a blessing, then I would say, hey, go for it, you know? And the nice thing about not loving your job is that you, I, I know people who idolize their job. Maybe they don't make any money, right? But they, they love their job. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, sometimes having a job that you don't love can, can be a healthy thing for a person because then you can kind of leave your work at work. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely, I don't know, my job, my old job definitely used to almost be my identity. <laughs> so yeah, that, uh, thank you. I appreciate your time and, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, you bet. I have a few more thoughts on that, but I can, I can talk about them after I let you go. So, um, God bless and thanks for calling in. I pray that God gives you wisdom with making that decision. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We are coming up on our mid-show break, but we definitely have time for one more call before that break, as well as more text messages. We have all open lines right now, so it's a great time to call in. We'll get you on the air very quickly with your prayer requests, with your questions about the Bible, maybe things going on in your life that you wonder, what does, what does God have to say about that? What does the Bible say about that issue? Give us a call. 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. So what I was saying um, just a minute ago, as we wait for more calls to come in, um, just to Eli there in Fort Lupton, and he was mentioning that in the past, you know, he really found his identity in his job as a cowboy. I think that's a really interesting thing to think about because I think that where we find our identity is a really big issue in the Bible. And so a great place to go for this topic in the Bible is Philippians chapter 3, where Paul talks about how in the past he actually used to find his identity in all kinds of other things. 
And now he considers all of those things rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of being found in Christ. And that idea of being found in Christ um, speaks about identity, right? Like, what are you found in? You know, where, where you find your identity. And I was just thinking that this is something you see throughout the Bible. And I could bring it home like this, you know, to say that we can make an idol out of so many things. An idol is what we look to to give us the things that only God can give us or to do for us the things that only God can do for us. So an idol might be, I mean, think about it. That's exactly what pagan gods are. And the idols represent pagan gods, right? And what is the problem with pagan gods? Well, it's that you're looking to them to do what only the true and living God can do for you, whether that's to provide you with crops, whether it's to provide you with fertility, whether it's to provide you with power or success or love or whatever it might be, right? And, and we do those same things today. We just have different names for them, right? People still worship success. People still worship power. People still uh, worship romance today. And, you know, one of the most telling questions you can ask somebody is, or ask yourself rather, is this, uh, where do you find your identity? In other words, ask yourself the question, who are you? Right at the end of the day, who are you? And, you know, people answer that question in many ways. You could say, oh, I'm American. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a cowboy. I'm a banker. Whatever your occupation might be. Or another big one is parenting. I'm a parent. Or, or your hobbies. I'm a cyclist. I'm a runner. All these things. Now, I use many of those things to describe myself. But at the end of the day, some of those things can reveal idols in our hearts, things that we look to rather than looking to God for the things that only God can give us, right? A sense of identity, sense of purpose, meaning, value, a hope for our lives, direction for our lives. And if you go back to Second or First, First Samuel, I'm sorry, First Samuel, you read the story of Saul and David, and it's really a story that tells us about where these two men found their identity. Because here was the thing, Saul actually started out as a really good king, the first king of Israel. He started out really good. I think people sometimes forget that story. They just think, oh, Saul, he was just a carnal and bad person from day one. Not at all. No. He says, in fact, he was even filled with the Spirit. In fact, he was humble and, and all of these great qualities. And, and then we see this, this downward slide that happens as David kind of gets more and more popular, as Saul begins to lie and cheat and disobey God in order to solidify his position because he begins to love the position more than he loves God. That's really what the story is about at the end of the day because he says, you know, he will hold on tooth and nail to being king no matter what it takes. If he has to sin to do it, if he has to commit murder to do it, he will do anything in order to hold on to that position. And then he, you have David, on the other hand, who is called to be king, and he's willing to do it, but he doesn't need to be king. And it's a huge difference. Even when David's son in 2 Samuel, Absalom, rebels against David and tries to steal the kingdom from him, David's response is to say, well, Lord, do you want Absalom to be king? If so, then fine, I'm, I'm cool with that. And God says, no, 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 Absalom's a terrible person. I do not want him to be king. And David says, oh, okay, cool. Then I'll just keep being king then, okay? And, and you see the difference. The one man had to be king. The other man was a servant of God. That was his identity, who he was in God, a child of God, one of God's sheep. God is his shepherd, right? And all these things, all the other things he did, they were just things that he did for God, but they weren't who he was at the core. And that, that just brings us back to, 
what our, our friend there, um, Eli, was asking about in Fort Lupton, which is this. We want to love God and love people and use things. And we want to, you know, take the positions that God gives us. And rather than loving those positions, we want to love God through those positions. And so I pray that God would help all of us to do that, that our, de- our identity would be who we are in Christ, that everything else would be rubbish, and that we would be found with the surpassing greatness of being found in Christ with an identity and a righteousness that is not our own, but which is given to us by God's grace. Hey, we've got some other callers on the line as well as some text messages we'll get to right after the break. Give us a call. We'll get you on the air quickly. 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. We'll be back in two minutes time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm taking your calls and texts live on the air today. Give us a call. The number is 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. Or text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Let's go to our next caller, Becca in Brighton, Colorado. Hi, Becca. Welcome to the program. Hey, um, I have a kind of question. I've been studying um, with a small group of women for my church, and we've been looking at the attributes of God, and one week in particular, we were studying holy, the word holy, and I'm, my question is, um, I've come kind of looking for some biblical textual evidence of um, can, can we achieve holiness and these holy moments in our lives where we have a kind of supernatural Oh, you cut out on with, me there. For, oh, sorry. there you're, you're back. Sorry. So you're yeah. saying something about supernatural moments? I think that's where you cut out. Yes. Um, these holy encounters, as I would label them, are um, almost supernatural moments of encountering with God. Um, it traces back to the Trinity, like scripture-wise, of meeting with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm thinking about, like, verses and the mention of the word holy is, like, mentioned three times, like um, in Revelation, um, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, and also um, just like people in Scripture that have encountered God, like Moses in the burning bush, like um, when God has like shown himself or made himself known that like the words used in Scripture, do they and the Holy Spirit, and is that like how we kind of not achieve holiness, but have these holy moments or this meeting with God. Yeah. So, okay, first of all, let me let me address the one question, which seems like the easiest to answer, which is this one about the phrase holy, 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 mentioned three times. Mm-hmm. It is, is that a correlation with the Holy, oh, sorry, with the Trinity? Um, I think the answer to that is, although that sounds like a, sounds like a cool idea, I don't think that's actually accurate. I think okay. that... 
Uh, the reason for that is that you have to understand how ancient languages worked, meaning Hebrew and Greek. And mm -hmm. this is actually repeated throughout the Bible, where something, the way that they'll um, create emphasis mm -hmm. is through repetition. So, for example, to say, Lord, Lord, is means that, that that's a big deal, right? You're not just saying, Lord, you're saying, Lord, Lord, like that's, that's to get your attention and to yeah. say there's emphasis and there is uh, emotion involved in this. And then to use it three times is just like, whoa. That's a lot, That's right? Important. So holding, yeah. it would be like saying this, like uh, I have a little daughter, right? And she has this book with Curious George and it says like messy, messier, messiest. And like in each picture, he gets messier, right? Or like tall, yeah. taller, tallest. In this case, it would be like holy, holier, holiest. There's no one this holy, right? Like he is the yeah. most holy you can ever imagine. That's really what the connotation is there. Okay. So, so, so um, of importance rather than pointing back to the Trinity. Necessarily. Yes. Yes. Now there are, of course, I believe in the Trinity. There are other verses I would, um, lots of verses I would point to, to talk about the Trinity. I just think it might be a bit of an overreach and, um, maybe, yeah. uh, anachronism, meaning you're, you're seeing that in it because you already believe something else. So okay. I don't, I don't think it's like wrong or bad. I just don't think that's the point of it. Um, yeah. The, the other one is about the attributes of God, right? Holiness. What does that mean? Um, obviously, it means set apart. It means mm -hmm. something that is other, totally different and, and radically different than us, but set apart for a purpose in the way that you have something that is special. So like if you have China at your house, you don't necessarily use it every single day. It's set apart for special occasions. And that's kind of the idea that God is holy. He is other. He is separate. He is different and set apart. And yet then God makes us holy in Jesus. So there's a legal implication there as well, right? That we're without sin, we're justified. But then he calls us to be holy, which means not only do we live in a, in a way that is honoring to him and without sin or, or darkness, but also it means that we're called to be set apart for a purpose. And so I think that's, that's really important that we, when we understand holiness— um, there's a calling involved in it when it comes to us, right? We're not just called to be holy as God is holy. We are, but we're also called to be set apart for a purpose, for a mission, which is God's mission and God's purpose. Um, and now you had asked about holy moments or encounters with God. I think that's an interesting one. I'm not exactly sure um, how to answer that. I know that there are several instances in the Bible where we see God having an encounter with somebody that's very special, right? So, so for example, with Isaiah, Isaiah has this vision. And in this vision, he has an encounter with God where he has this vision and this, he's cleansed by God. He's made aware of his sinfulness. He's cleansed by God. And then he's sent out on mission by God. We have like, um, let's see, Moses in the wilderness, right? He has an encounter with God where God speaks to him from the burning bush uh, we have Paul on the road to Damascus, has an encounter with God. With Peter, in Acts chapter 10, he sees the pigs come down in a blanket, right? Pigs in a blanket from heaven. And he has um, this encounter where God speaks to him. So I think that there are obviously moments like that. I'm not sure that we call them holy moments or what, what we call them. Um, I'm not sure how holiness necessarily applies there. So maybe you could help me understand. 
be holy for I am holy. Um, and I'm thinking about like, even in different denominations, like people try to achieve holiness or like to be Christ-like essentially, I take that as, but I'm thinking like, how can, how can we even like fully understand holy or strive to be holy like God when it is the attribute that sets him apart from everybody else? You know, that set it apart. And I know oh, it's like, sure. be in the world, but not of the world. Like, I get that set apart aspect. But I'm saying, like, if we are to strive to be holy or to strive to be like Christ, you know, and we're in his image, like, how do we achieve that? You know, it seems so lofty, but almost unrealistic. Yeah, no, but it, but it definitely is part of our calling, right? I just, I'm teaching through First Corinthians, and he says that in First Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, uh, Paul says this, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified. So sanctified means made holy, called to be saints. What is, the word saint means holy ones. So you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, meaning that's your standing before God. And you are called to live a holy life, which means to live a life that is set apart for God's purposes. right? And so in the same way that you wouldn't trash your, your good china, right? we're set apart, we're treated, we're treat, to treat our lives and to treat ourselves as those which are called to be set apart for a specific purpose, which is not just to please ourselves, it's to please God and be used by him. And so one of my favorite verses on this topic is Hebrews 1 verse 9. And why? here's why, because it's talking about Jesus. And it says this, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So essentially it's saying, Jesus was the happiest person who ever lived, and the reason he was so happy is because he was holy. And what it means to be holy is to love righteousness and to hate wickedness. And see, the, the thing that happens as we come to know God is he changes our hearts, as he changes us from the inside out, we become more and more like Jesus. That's what it says in Romans 8, verse 29, that God is changing us into the image of Christ. And what does it mean to be like Christ? Well, it means that we love the things God loves, we hate the things God hates. And here's the other thing, it, of course, why does it say that Jesus was the happiest person who ever lived? Because he was also the holiest person who ever lived, which means that if you want to be happy, the way to happiness is actually through holiness. And it actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because sin um, might have pleasure for a moment, but sin in the Bible and in our lives, just look at it, it's pretty obvious that it leads to nothing but destruction and division. Division from people, division from God, destruction in our relationship with God, destruction in the world. It leads to nothing. It, it even think back like Adam and Eve, right? God tells them, hey, here's the tree of life, and here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that'll kill you, right? It's like saying, hey, here's a glass of antifreeze, and here's a glass of water. Drink the water. And they're like, I don't know. The antifreeze smells pretty good. And, and so the, the whole calling for us to be holy, man, love righteousness, hate wickedness, seek to be like God. That's what Paul says. He says, seek to be imitators of God. And so, yeah, you're right. In this life, you know, we're never going to fully attain the full measure of holiness. But man, as we pursue it, we're going to be like, you're going to have a better life, basically, as you're pursuing righteousness and moving away from wickedness. So achieve holiness when we go to heaven, like by reunification. Totally. That, that's Paul says that in Romans 8, 29. He says, you will be glorified. So it's the, that idea there is that 
So we've been sanctified positionally, right? Which means our position before God is that we're holy. We've been declared righteous. That's so that's what it means in Christ. We've been sanctified and, and yet we're called to live and pursue holiness. But we know that one day when we see him, we will be like him. That's another thing Paul tells us, right? So the idea is that we will attain that full measure of it. When we see him, we'll be transformed. Um, but until then, we seek it, and we'll be better off for seeking it. So through communion with God, we're closer to holiness or in better, like, meeting with him kind of glimpse of heaven kind of moment? For maybe? sure. Like Second Corinthians 3, right? As we seek him, we are transformed into his image. But on the other hand, we're also to pursue it, right? We are to love righteousness and to hate wickedness. So it, it's not just like a passive thing that we just love God and then it kind of we kind of just sit back and um, you know we're made holy. But it's also something that we do actively. So could you label people as holy or times in your life as holy, like, or is that only an attribute of God? So I don't see times being labeled as holy. Maybe I'm wrong. Somebody could correct me. Please do <laughs> uh, if I if I'm just not thinking of one of these times, but definitely um, Paul labels people as holy. So does Peter, right? They call people saints. That means that you are declared holy. And what that means is that you may not act holy every moment of every day, and yet you have been declared holy. You're a citizen of heaven. That's your passport says heaven on it, right? Um, when you go home and you're gathered to your people, as the Old Testament says, those are the people you'll be gathered to your heavenly home. And so um, I'll, I'll just leave it at that and just say this, that there, there's a positional holiness before God, but there's also an, a momentary, moment-to-moment -moment holiness versus unrighteousness, right? Like I can act in a way that is holy at one point and act in a way that is unholy at another point. And so we want to be constantly pursuing holiness as the holy ones of God. Well, there are saints that they let you know, very different lives from beginning to end. And there was moments that they were definitely walking with God, but they were also just everyday sinners and people like us. But yeah, absolutely. People wretched at the same time. Not the same time. You know, well, I mean, that's what Martin Luther said. He said, um, you know, to be a Christian is to be justus et peccator in Latin, which means uh, on the one hand, a sinner and a saint at the same time. And so that's what it means to be a Christian. And yet, act, you know, we actively pursue holiness. But, hey, I'm going to let you go so I can get to some other calls and texts. But thanks for your call and great discussion. All right, bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Give us a call with your questions about the Bible. Give us a call with your prayer requests. We'd love to talk with you, pray for you, and answer those questions you have about life and the scriptures. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Well, it looks like we've had a few calls come in from some of our new listeners, which is exciting. And if you are also out there listening, um, we'd love to have you call in. Again, 303-690-3000. We had some callers just a minute ago from Brunswick, Georgia and Mobile, Alabama. 
Um, but for different reasons, they asked not to be on the air. The listener from Mobile, Alabama, was uh, afraid that he was going to lose his salvation. He wanted some resources on that topic, if you have ideas that come to mind. Um, the other one wanted to talk about positions regarding the rapture and how to interpret Matthew 24. Okay, well, let's start with the listener who's afraid about losing his salvation. You know, this is a topic that comes up really a lot, um, and and I know it's really practical. For many people, perhaps you grew up in a setting where you were, you know, losing your salvation was something that you, you worried about a lot. I just uh, wrote a blog post about this on my website, and I also recorded a podcast about it. Um, and so I'd love for you guys, if you're interested, if you like podcasts, go and subscribe to my podcast. It's called Theology for the People. So Theology for the People. And what we try to do over there is just bring theological topics down to the level of, of where most people are, you know, are able to access them. So we want to put the cookies on the shelf where the kids can reach them when it comes to theology. And so, yeah, just search up the Theology for the People podcast, and you sh- it's on all the, all the major platforms, and you can find it on there. And just uh, one of my episodes, I think it was two weeks ago, I posted this episode called, Will God Remove the Holy Spirit from a Person Because of Disobedience? And this gets to an issue of losing your salvation, right? Because here's why it matters. Uh, we do read about God removing the Holy Spirit from people at different times in the Old Testament. But the reason it's a problem is because if, if, you, if God removes the Holy Spirit from you, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ in them does not belong to Christ. And so that, that would be a pretty big problem. Uh, if God removes his spirit from you, does that mean you've lost your salvation? Now, the answer to that, to give you, before I get in my explanation, the answer is simply no. That's not what it means. Um, And so what's going to happen is that there are three relationships with the Holy Spirit that you need to understand. Uh, One is the Holy Spirit is with people, bringing about conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. The other relationship is the Holy Spirit is in, indwelling those who have been redeemed by Jesus. And the third relationship is that the Holy Spirit comes upon people at different times to empower them to do what God has called them to do. And so when we read in the Old Testament about God removing his spirit from people, understand that in the Old Testament time, until Jesus came and died and resurrected, the Holy Spirit was not indwelling people. That was something that only happened after the resurrection of Jesus. And so what that means is that the removal of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was the removal of the anointing or the empowering of God upon people. And here's what that means, is that in the New Testament, when we talk about being saved, right? Some of the metaphors the Bible uses for being saved are things like adoption, right? You have been adopted by God into his family. Another one is that you have been sealed by God with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that he will complete the good work of salvation that he began in you. And so, listen, if here's, here's what we don't read. We never read about someone being unadopted by God. We never read about someone being unsealed, having been sealed. In other words, what good is a guarantee if it's not actually a guarantee? In other words, if God has sealed you as you believe in Jesus, he's sealed you for salvation by placing his spirit within you, then you can be sure that it is actually a guarantee. And what that means is that though we sin as children of God, like we're told in in 1 John, for example, um, though we sin, God treats us not not by disowning us or unadopting us, rather as our father now, now that we are children of God, now 
he disciplines us as a loving father. Think about Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this, how God disciplines us. So rather than disowning us in our sin, in our wanderings, he disciplines us as a loving father. And so I just don't really like when people talk about losing your salvation. And here's why, because it, it makes it sound like a passive thing, right? Like I lost my keys. I lost my kid at the grocery store. You know, I lost my phone. These are, I don't know where it is. I didn't want to lose it. It just happened to me. It was an accident. Um, and I, you're not going to lose your salvation as an accident, right? You, you think about this. You're holding on to God's hand. I have a small daughter. She's five. And we walk to the park across the street from our house, but there's a really busy street there that we have to walk across. And I always tell her, hold on to my hand. But the thing is, if, if we're crossing that busy street and in a moment of weakness because she's tired or because she gets scared, her grip on my hand lets go. She totally lets go. You know what? The truth is she thinks she's holding on to my hand and she is, but you know what? I'm also holding onto her hand. And my grip on her hand is so much stronger than her grip on my hand. Though her grip may fail, my grip on her will not fail. And you know what, friends? That's true when it comes to God and you. Sometimes your grip on God may fail. But God's grip on you, if you're his child, will not fail. He's so much stronger. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And that's really, really good news. So, dear listener, I hope that you would understand. Now, I think there's a different uh, question there. That could also be asked, can you forfeit your salvation? Can you violently reject your salvation? That would be a different question, not losing your salvation as an accident or something you didn't want to happen. So hope that brings some clarity. Let's go to our next caller, Joanne in North Glen, Colorado. Hi, Joanne. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. Um, my question has to do with, um, I have um, some very wonderful friends who are Jehovah Witnesses. And I just want to know if you um, have any advice on where to start the conversation. I know that our Bibles are different, so it, I just feel really intimidated by talking about, um, you know, my faith with them. Yeah. So, you know what? I think that um, sometimes it can be very intimidating. And I think something that can really help you to take the edge off of that intimidation is to remember this. The one thing that is different between biblical Christianity— and every other religion in the world, including what we call pseudo-Christian religions or pseudo-Christian cults, sometimes we call them, which includes Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, right? So they're like, they also use the Bible, they talk about Jesus, so we call this pseudo-Christianity um, because they're not in line with historical Christianity. And so the difference between uh, biblical Christianity and every other religion, including Jehovah's witnesses, Mormons, and everybody else is two things, but they're related. Two things, and they are this. Who is Jesus, and how are you saved? These are the only things you really need to talk about them with, uh, talk with them about, okay? So focus on those two areas, and that'll help kind of, you know, because you might wonder, where do I start? Well, where you start is in talking about who is Jesus, and how are you saved? Because what they teach on that is very different. So they teach that Jesus is not God. And that's really, that's really a big deal um, because there's, there's a lot of reasons why Jesus had to be God in order to save us. Otherwise, Jesus is a patsy, if you will, right? But if it's actually God who has come to save us himself, that, and that's actually what the Bible teaches. 
And you can notice, you know, one of the greatest evidences of the Trinity, there's a lot of them, but one of the greatest ones that I like to point to are um, the kind of, if you will, throwaway phrases that Paul the Apostle uses to refer to Jesus throughout the New Testament. For example, this Sunday I'm teaching 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and there's this little statement that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 2, where it says, um, if they had understood this, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, wait a second. The Lord of glory is a term that is used in the Psalms, Psalm 24, to describe God. He's called the Lord of glory. And here Paul is using the term Lord of glory, an Old Testament term to refer to God. And he says they crucified him. Well, who did they crucify? They crucified Jesus. So in other words, God is the Lord of glory and Jesus is the Lord of glory. Therefore, Jesus is God. But of course, we go back to Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, which point us to the fact that the coming Messiah would indeed be God himself come to us. There's so many things like that. So who is Jesus? That's the first one. And the big difference between Jehovah's Witnesses and the Bible is that um, clearly Jesus is God. And that's actually why they had to create their own Bible is because there were some verses which clearly said that Jesus was God and they, they added a few extra words to make it um, seem as if Jesus is not actually God. So a good example is John chapter 1, verse 1. Famously, they changed it. Okay, another uh, thing is, how are you saved? Every other religion in the world, other than biblical Christianity, says one form or another, you are saved by your own efforts. You're saved by being good enough, trying hard enough, you know, keeping these rules enough, not doing those bad things enough, right? But biblical Christianity says, not only can you not save yourself, um, it, you, you can't even add anything to your salvation, right? God loves you, period. And the way you are saved is not by anything you do, but by what he has done for you. And see, that's the thing with Jehovah's Witnesses and every other religion in the world is that um, it teaches self-salvation. And, and I always point this out to people. People say, don't all religions basically teach the same thing? I say, well, when it comes to morality, yes, but the Bible isn't primarily a book about morality. It's a book about Jesus and how to be saved. And on those two topics, what the Bible says is radically different than what every other religion says. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you say we're not saved by our own efforts, are you referring to Ephesians? And do you know if Ephesians is in their Bible? Yeah, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, or 8 through 9. Uh, yes, that is in their Bible. And yet... Um, Again, they're going to do some what we call hermeneutical gymnastics. In other words, they're going to do some interpretive gymnastics to say that since they believe that they're saved by their own efforts and their own works, right, by making themselves holy, that, um, you know, they're going to interpret that verse through that lens. But of course, we have a lens, too, that comes from reading the whole of Scripture. And the whole of Scripture is going to say this, that you cannot save yourself. Like, look at the whole book of Galatians. That would be a, maybe a better place to go. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, he says, who, well, in Galatians 3, he says, who has bewitched you that you have turned away from the gospel and turned to another gospel, which isn't the gospel at all? We could say that exact thing to Jehovah's Witnesses. Who has bewitched you that you've turned away from 
the true Jesus to a different Jesus, a different gospel that's not actually a gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. That's not actually good news that you have to save yourself because the fact is, no matter how good you are, you'll never be good enough. You know, um, Francis Schaeffer used to describe it like this. He said, if every one of us was judged by God, not according to God's standards, but if we were even just judged by our own standards of how we think other people should be, none of us would even measure up to our own standards. Now, if that's the case, then how could we ever think that we could live up to God's standards? The good news of the gospel isn't that you have to be good and save yourself. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has acted in history in order to save you. Right? And so, so Paul says in Galatians 2, one of, one of the greatest passages in the Bible, he says, I'm just going to read it to you. So the very last verse. If righteousness could come through the law or through good works, then Christ died in vain. In other words, when Jesus said, it is finished, it's essentially slapping him in the face and saying, no, it's not. I need to do something too. Right? In other words, by saying that uh, we have to add Paul says, you are nullifying the grace of God. So uh, that, that would be, I'd encourage you to read Galatians because that's actually more about um, what we're talking about here, which is this denying the grace of God and insisting that we must save ourselves. Great. Cool. Hey, thanks for your call. And God bless you as you seek to testify about the Lord Jesus to your friends who are who are Jehovah's Witnesses. I pray God gives you wisdom and grace. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I've been taking your calls and texts today. I'll be with you again next week. In the meantime, we'd love to have you worship with us this Sunday at the church I pastor. All the information you need is found on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. It's whitefieldschurch.com. Have a great You've evening. Bye-bye. to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.